This is Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week on how to live well. Shine On is heard all over the world as a podcast, but it's heard first on the radio in New York's Hudson Valley. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On. Hasn't autumn in the Hudson Valley been glorious? Absolutely glorious. So enjoying these beautiful days and all the colors. And today, we're going to dive into a couple of subjects that have been on my mind lately. First off, are you looking to quit something? Maybe you want to quit your job. Maybe you want to quit your relationship. Maybe you want to quit your country club. I don't know. The Power of Knowing When to Walk Away. Quit is the new book from Annie Duke. Now, Annie, best-selling author of Thinking in Bets and How to Decide, she won like $4 million playing poker before she retired from the game in 2012. She knows a thing or two about knowing when to hold them and knowing when to fold them, and she's got a great story to tell coming up when we talk about quit. But first, I want to talk about why you are so grumpy all the time. No, I'm kidding. But if you find it hard to stay connected to positive feelings, guess what? That's how the brain works. We are wired to the negative. And here to shed light on the topic of negativity bias is Westchester County-based music therapist Maya Benatar. So negativity bias, which is not my created phrase, it's a, a term that's been around for quite a while. Essentially, negativity bias is what keeps us safe. So we are wired as humans, everyone. Each one of us is wired to register and notice the bad stuff more, more readily and urgently than the good stuff. So what that meant in prehistoric times it meant that if you didn't notice the saber-toothed tiger, then you were lunch, right? So you had to be on alert for danger. That's what's kept humans around for, for so long, right? Being able to be attuned to and responsive to danger. The tricky part is that it's hard, especially in this modern world, um, there's no saber-toothed tigers, but there is a lot of danger. So we just, in many different ways, right? So we just, a lot of people will just attune to what's wrong, right? And if you have anxiety or any like that, you're even more attuned to that. And so you stay in a state of constant hyper arousal, right? Just like almost like a dog that's sort of like scanning their environment for like for danger or for fear. I have a, a new rescue dog. So just something that's familiar to me these days. Um, and so we need that capacity to pay attention, to adapt. But we also want to be able to come down out of that state and get regulated. Wow. All right. That, you know, that's funny. I have a rescue dog as well who is, who, I can't even find the word for it, but he's, there's something askew and all he does, he's fixated on sounds far away mm-hmm. that could be coming. I, you know, God knows mm-hmm. what he's, what happened to him, but it's right, of course. really hard to deal with a dog that hears things, you know, here's the lawnmower three do- doors down and is sure mm-hmm. it's, it's mm-hmm. his job to protect us from the lawnmower right. killing us all, you know? Right. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's easier to deal with in dogs than it is with humans because the human that you're talking about that's mm-hmm. like in a negativity bias loop they're really hard to be around they're the debbie downers right and they're the they can be. doom and yeah. gloomers 
The Eeyore. They can be. Mm-hmm. They can be for sure. It can look many different ways, right? It can look like someone being a Debbie Downer or an Eeyore. It can look like someone who sort of puts on a, a happy face for the world. This is many women I find with like high functioning anxiety, it's sometimes called put on a happy face for the world, but inside it's just, oh, the other shoe's going to drop. Oh, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. And that may be based on previous experiences they've had, right? If someone has a history of trauma, it's not for me to tell them that bad things don't happen in the world because I would be lying if I said that to anyone, right? Like bad things do happen, but being able to kind of pause and kind of pivot a little bit of like, okay, but it is possible to access joy and excitement and calm and to really wire those in essentially the way that noticing the bad stuff that the negativity bias gets just naturally wired into us. And in some people and some situations, it gets reinforced and reinforced and reinforced and reinforced. Mm -hmm. So we want to reinforce not just just positivity necessarily. Sometimes it is about positive feelings. For some people, it's about uh, reinforcing just a sense of feeling neutral. Like that might be revolutionary for right, them. Right, right. I don't just have to have like, a big reaction. Yeah. Right. Just being like kind of kind of in an even keel it doesn't mean we have to like have a smile and be you know you know a little Miss Mary Sunshine or something, but just like I'm neutral. I feel okay. Right. I feel fine. I'm I'm safe. I mean, you know, like that that really a big deal for a lot of people. Um, So I often talk with clients about, and I think I wrote this in the blog post, like getting curious about feeling 10% less hyper alert, not moving the dial all the way to calm and peaceful and blissed out on a beach in Aruba, but like 10% less. How's that? You know, can we do 10% less? Sometimes just 10% less, just knowing that they can shift the dial at all is a big deal. And I do want to say hey to everybody who is stuck in that feeling of the other shoe is going to drop because look at what we've been through in the last two years. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. Which is why anyone who tells you like, don't feel like that. It's not the most helpful thing. It may be coming from a loving place, but it's just not the most helpful thing. Because that's how you're feeling and how you're feeling, however it is that someone is feeling, is totally valid, right? And so being able to find moments in among the past two years and what's continuing to happen in the world and our lives, finding little glimmer moments. And that's a phrase from Deb Dana, um, who's a wonderful uh, therapist and author. Little glimmer moments, moments that help you feel safe, that help you, that you get a little lift, a little soft smile. And so when we can notice those, that's reinforcing the, oh, I'm okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm safe here. You, yeah. you mentioned glimmers versus triggers. Tell us what some of those glimmers might look like. Oh, great question. I love that. Um, so glimmers can really be anything. They are fairly individual. So for me, you know, a glimmer is, is petting my dog. Or when when I go outside, it's really sunny. And it's just, I, I always lift my face to the sun. My husband calls it being a solar panel. Um, <laughs> you know, like, so those are some of my glimmers. But it can be a song. It can be looking at a picture from your vacation. It can be the smell of a fresh cup of coffee. Anything that really helps you just soften just a little bit, have a little bit of a smile. It doesn't have to be a big deal. So often we think of, I will relax when I go on vacation or when it's the weekend or when, you know, fill in the blank, right? Um, And a glimmer can, it can be 10 seconds. Ideally, it should be 10 seconds because we want, or so, we want to be able to notice them throughout our day, right? So Mm -hmm. to have these moments of just, oh, okay. 
Okay. Uh, there's right as opposed to like holding ourselves and waiting, 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 waiting for the weekend or for vacation or whatever. Right. What does appreciating the glimmers do to our brain? So it provides another option. Simply put, it provides another option from that the negativity bias and the reinforced patterns of anxiety or anger or tightness. It's sort of like doing. Let me think of a. An analogy. It's sort of like doing like one roll of your shoulders, um, you know, like softening your shoulders back and down. I'm doing that right now, as opposed to waiting for, you know, my weekly yoga class, right? Like by the time I get there, I might be so tight and tense that it may not even really, it, it may register on some level, but it's going to take a lot more work to, side, to sort of move through the gunkiness in my body. And so glimmers built up over time, it's the cumulative nature of them mm-hmm. that that allow us to to sort of reorient towards towards feeling okay, towards softening, towards feeling safe, to building essentially in um, in like more trauma therapy terms, towards getting back into our window of tolerance, where it doesn't mean things aren't happening that are challenging, but we can really ride the waves. That's some of Dan Siegel's lovely work. We can just really ride ride the waves of what's happening without getting you know hyper aroused like like your dog or anything like that. Like mm-hmm. just okay, things are happening. I'm okay. I'm okay. And so tracking glimmers over time will will help you kind of stay more in that zone, in that window. I love it. We're talking to Maya Benatar, and I just want to say hey to everybody who rolled their shoulders back because it was a lot of us. <laughs> I'm yes. just saying, you know, most of us <laughs> rolled our shoulders back with you. Could you give us some words, give us some phrases that we can use? I have a terrible habit when people come to me and say, you know, I feel this way, I feel that way. I've got a million solutions. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I've got my list mm-hmm. of, well, you should do this, and you should do this, and you should do that. And, you know, that's those things maybe work for me. And I don't think, I think I could be more helpful in those situations. What's the best way to approach somebody or help somebody when they say, hey, I'm feeling this way, or when we notice they're feeling that way? When we notice that they're feeling like really tight and hyper around? Yeah. Such a good question. Such a tough question. I, the ther- my therapist brain is like, well, there's no one way. Um, mm. <laughs> but it, it depends on your relationship with them. Like some... I know some people in my life, when they're like that, they would like a really deep hug or they would like to be distracted or they would like to problem solve. And so sometimes asking, do you know what would be helpful? Mm. How can I support you? As opposed to like, oh, try this, or try this, or this works, this works. Like not popping into your cognitive, the, your cognitive patterns, right? And we all have them. But as you sort of navigate with in the context of your relationship with this person, like, do they want support? Do they want, you know, to be distracted? Do they want a hug? Do they want you to make them a cup of tea? Sort of staying in your own body, right? If we pop out and into that, like, problem-solving cognitive place, it's probably not immensely helpful. It's probably not going to be harmful, but it's probably not immensely helpful either to us or to them. So if you can, you know, in those moments, if you can stay connected to your own breath, um, to your shoulders feeling down out of your ears, to your feet on the ground, is on a on an implicit level going to be helpful both to you and to them. So sometimes it's not so much what you say, but how you are. 
Mm. Oh, I love that. It's not how much what you say, it's how you are. So stay in your yeah. own body, stay grounded, stay peaceful. And just that mm-hmm. is a gift. And this is my no- new favorite phrase. Thank you, Maya Benatar. <laughs> Do you know what would be helpful? Wow. Do you know what would be helpful? Because they probably know what something, right? They they might. And if they don't, like so much compassion and love for, okay, it's okay. If someone's really, really tight and hyper aroused, they may not know in that moment. If it's someone who, you know, you're in a relationship with, you're close to, that's a place to kind of problem solve maybe out of the moment. Right. Like, hey, when you get like that, like, do we want to make a list? Um, I've had clients make, like, resource cards that they can refer to when they're like that or their partner or their friends can refer. To. They don't have to pull it from their brains when they're really in a tight, you know, anxious space. But asking, always asking, always believing that in some way people have a sense or trying something, right? Like, hey, let's let's go sit outside and, and look at the flowers or, or get in the sun. Did that help? Okay, let's, let's try some of this. Like making it light and, you know, not a huge deal if something doesn't quote unquote work. Because even sometimes just shifting your body, you know, getting a glass of water, taking a stretch is going to do something. If it doesn't move the feeling out right away, well, we're not robots, you know? Very, very good, Maya Benatar. I'm so glad we had this little chat. Is, yeah, me too. Is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know today? Um, I think about glimmers, a nice way that I've played with them and played with them with clients is to, take, to keep a bit of like a daily glimmer journal, I call it. Um, you can write it down in a notebook. You can put it in the notes app of your phone. We Our lives move so quickly that it can be really helpful to not only pause enough to notice them and write them down, but to refer back to them. All right. So now you know your homework. You have to make a list of your glimmer moments, your glimmer moments. I'm going to tell you about some that I had yesterday. I was standing in my garden. I paused because it's really just a bunch of weeds right now, but I was in my garden just thinking about how much beauty and joy it gave me all spring and summer. And I found myself just sort of talking to what remains of it and feeling that wonderful feeling that I get when I'm in my garden. Glimmer moment for sure. Another glimmer moment, I was walking all three pugs. I got a black one, a white one, and a fawn one. And I'm walking all three pugs on my little street in cold spring. And the leaves were coming down. The fall leaves coming down in the breeze. Glimmer moment. And you know, every moment when I'm in the chicken coop is a great time. Glimmer moments. They help our brains get more comfortable with the good things. So that old reptilian brain of ours that's always scanning for what's wrong can take a rest. And I love some of those phrases and thoughts that we heard from Maya about The window of tolerance, right? That's a good one. And how about going for 10% calmer or 10% more peaceful? And my new favorite phrase, do you know what could be helpful? Instead of my usual jumping in to fix everything, I will say, do you know what could be helpful? Because I do. Thank you, Maya Benatar. No relation to the musician, but she is a music therapist. Maya, M-A-Y, Benatar, B-E-N-A-T-T-A-R dot com if you want to reach out. And thank you for listening to Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show. My name is Casey, and we have many, many, many episodes of this show that you can find at caseysplace.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. 
My friend Celia said to me the other day, I didn't know you did so many of these shows. Yes, there are hundreds of episodes to listen to, and I appreciate every time you give a follow and a like wherever you get your shine on. All right, we welcome Annie Duke to the show, the author of Quit, The Power of Knowing When to Walk Away, and another peek into the human mind as well. That being, we find it hard to walk away when we've invested time. The phrase, the greater the skunk costs, the harder it becomes to quit. Annie Duke, what are we talking about here? The problem is this, that quitting feels right when it's already too late. In other words, the time that quitting feels right is when it's a dead certainty that you have to quit. So you can kind of think about it this way. Like, you're climbing up Mount Everest, and the snowstorm is already upon you. Then you know you don't have a choice but to quit. You're in a job, and the boss is toxic, and you've just been, like, going at it because you think that, you know, quitters are losers and you need to show that you need to hack it. And it's only at the point where it's, like, making you physically sick or you're avoiding work with sick days that you're willing to go and quit. That's when the time feels right. But that's actually much too late. And it's the reason why a lot of times when we quit in those situations, when we finally get to the decision, when we look back, what do we always say? Oh, I should have done that a lot earlier. And this is the problem that we have with this decision to walk away is that we're so afraid of looking like a loser that can't hack it, who's a failure, that we stay in things much too long. Oh, I feel like so many people shaking their heads and agreeing with you in this moment. Why do we do that? Is it because we're, we were told that, that winners never quit? You know, I mean, I think that that's part of it, right? Because when we're doing something that isn't going well, as long as we keep doing it, there's a chance we can turn it around. But it's it's the moment that we quit where we have to admit defeat. And that's a moment that we just don't like. But separate and apart from that, I think that there's two really big sources of, you know, bias that really biases us against against quitting. One is just called the sunk cost fallacy, which is that feeling that if we quit, we'll have wasted all of the time or effort or money that we already put into endeavor. So like you'll hear people in bad relationships where you say to them, why aren't you walking away? And what do they always say? I've put so much time into it already. I don't want to have wasted all of that time. But the problem is that if you know you're miserable, like waste is a backward looking problem. That time is already wasted. Why are you wasting more time going forward in a situation where if you knew what you knew then, you know, you know now, then, then you wouldn't have started it in the first place. In that case, like we should be walking away, which is really hard. And I think the second big thing is that the things that we do become part of our identity. Mm. They're who we are. And I think it's really hard to walk away from who you are. Like, what does that mean for you if you, our jobs become part of our identity, our relationships become part of our identity, our beliefs become part of our identity? And I, that's really hard to walk away to say, I'm not going to be the same person anymore. Right. Page 102, the greater the skunk costs, the harder it becomes to quit. Crazy. Yes, right? that's right. So here's here's where we get into this really nasty cycle, right? I'm doing something like, uh, you know, I'm in a relationship or I'm pursuing a project or a startup or in a job. And I get to the decision like where I'm like, oh, I'm kind of thinking I'm not happy. Should I walk away? 
And then we don't walk away because we don't want to have wasted the time and the effort and the money that we've already put into it. You know, I've done so much time training and I've been learning the ropes and I know I can make it work. So then I, I stick to it. And then that makes me now incur more costs. That's more time and more energy that I spent in it, right? So if I won't quit after six months because I don't want to have wasted my time, imagine then when I make that decision to stick and now it's six months later or a year later, now I've put in a year or a year and a half or two years into the endeavor, which is going to make it harder for me to quit the next time I think about it and so on and so forth. So that's something that we have to remember is that the more you've put into something, the harder it is to walk away. A relationship you've been in for a week that isn't going well, it's pretty easy to walk away. One that you've been in for a year, that becomes a lot harder. We are talking to Annie Duke. The book is called Quit, The Power of Knowing When to Walk Away. And I think part of our human condition is there's a little something in us that just wants to make things right. Like if I keep going, I'll, I'll figure this out. I'll make it right. I love on page 115 uh, this bit of advice. Figure out the hard thing first. Try to solve that as quickly as possible and be aware of false progress. Can you break that down for us a little bit? Sure. I I can actually kind of give you an example from a relationship, right? So one of the things that we want to do is we want to figure out, like, what's the hardest part of this problem, right? So it could be, you know, you could be thinking about um, if you're trying to develop a technology, right? Like, what's the thing that you really don't know that you can do? This is a mental model that's called monkeys and pedestals that really help us think think about this. So uh, if you're trying to train a monkey to juggle flaming torches while standing on a pedestal, there's two things that you could do. Uh, One is you could start off training the monkey. The other is you could start off building the pedestal. Don't you think it would be kind of silly to start building the pedestal if you don't know if you can train the monkey yet? So you always want to be monkeys first because Uh, building the pedestal not only has no purpose if you can't train the monkey, but also you already know you can do it. So it creates the illusion of false progress, the illusion of progress, rather, that's actually false, but it also starts you accumulating sunk costs that make it hard to quit. So when people approach projects, you hear people saying all the time, "Uh, what's the low-hanging fruit? Let's tackle that first. Well, that's the opposite of the way that you should approach a problem because by definition, the low-hanging fruit you already know you can tackle. So you have to do the hard part first. So if we take that to a relationship, like there's really good relationship advice, which is before you decide to really commit, go on a trip with the person because that's the hard thing, right? Like going out on dates when things are new and like to the movies or to dinner or to concerts or things like that, that's pretty fun. But when you're in an airport and your flight's been canceled and uh, you're really cranky and you're super tired because you're jet lagged, you know, do you still have fun with that person? Do you still enjoy being with that person? Well, that's actually going to get you to, you know, to what you need to know. So try to do those things that are really going to test whether the relationship is going to work first before you get too deep into it. I love it. I love that. I love the book. I love all of the research that went into the book. The Power of Knowing When to Walk Away Quit is the book by Annie Duke. And what are you working on next, Annie? Well, right now I'm working on a dissertation, so um, I'm hopefully going to have my PhD completed by the end of, before the end of 2023, so I think in the spring. Um, Just because, just so you know, it's a lesson. When you quit things, you can can go back to them. Usually we are closing the door forever, and way back when I did five years worth of graduate school at the University of Pennsylvania, but I quit before defending my dissertation and actually getting my PhD to go play poker, Um, and now, decades later, I'm back at the University of uh, Pennsylvania to finish it up. So remember, when you quit, you're not necessarily shutting the door forever. 
That's Annie Duke, millionaire, former poker player, and soon to be Dr. Annie Duke. Her book is called Quit. If you'd like a copy, reach out from caseysplace.com. Wishing you a wonderful week. We're making lists, we're making plans. In February, at our retreat at the Mariandale Retreat Center in Austin, we've already planned a silent walk, and we've already planned sessions around what do you want, what do you need, and how can we build support around it. Come by yourself, bring a friend, or make new friends. It's such a great group every time we get together at Mariandale Retreat Center, right on the beautiful Hudson River in Austin, New York. Visit caseysplace.com and sign up soon. And remember, make a list of your glimmer moments this week. Pay attention. Our thought for the day is from Louise Hay, who said, You have the power to heal your life, and you need to know that. We often think that we're helpless, but we're not. We always have the power of our minds. Claim and consciously use your power. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show with new episodes every week. It's your time to shine on. Shine On.